Welcome to this edition of Rail Group on Air, the podcast series brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is William C. Vantuono, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age. Today we're here with the Federal Railroad Administration and Hartwood to uh, talk about uh, the role of simulation in uh, training and regulatory. With me are Rob Castiglione, and I, I like using that Italian pronunciation. Rob is a staff director of uh, Railroad Safety Partnership Division at the FRA. Neil Wadhaven is co-founder of Hartwood. And Brian Keller is a consultant to Hartwood, uh, with a long career in the industry. Welcome, everyone. Neil, why don't you get us started and uh, tell us about uh, Hartwood and its, uh, its background? Sure. Thank you, Bill. Um, Neil Wadhaven here with Hartwood, and we help uh, railroads improve maintenance, efficiency, and streamline compliance training uh, by leveraging our interactive simulations and guides. And our customers typically reduce workforce training costs uh, by implementing our software. And you know, we, we serve um, the railroads in freight, passenger, and transit. And um, some of the leading freight and passenger railroads use our software like BNSF, Union Pacific, Amtrak, Norfolk Southern, CSX, CN, KCS, to name a few. Uh, we're based out here in California and have some presence uh, offices based in other parts of the country as well. And we look forward to the conversation today. All right, thank you, Neil. So uh, let's go to uh, Rob, who is an experienced railroader. Rob, you joined the industry way back in 1978. Tell us about your background and what you do at the FRA. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Yeah, I started with Southern Pacific in 1978, uh, mechanical, uh, both locomotive and cars. Brief career, I transitioned over, had an opportunity to, uh, to join the regulators early on in my career, so I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, been with the FRA ever since, uh, 1986, um, held several positions uh, throughout my career at FRA. Half of my career at FRA has been training, has been involved with training one form or another, and currently I'm filling a role that has to uh, do with uh, minimum training standards, oversight of uh, uh, training standards for the entire industry, which also includes contractors, railroad contractors, as well as training organizations and learning institutions. And the other piece of my responsibilities has to do with uh, voluntary programs, confidential close calls, and a couple of other programs that have to do with, uh, uh, it's called FAMES, uh, Fatality Analysis and Mechanical and Engineering, and SOFA, which is switching operations, uh, 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 it's sort of a, a voluntary program or both voluntary programs that help uh, the industry, you know, take a deep dive into is issues or incidents that uh, result in injuries to not only uh, switchmen and brakemen, conductors of that nature, and also, but also engineering folks. Happy to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, Brian, uh, like Rob, you have a long career in the railroad industry. Tell us about it. Yes, I do. Um, actually hired in 1978, the same as Rob. I hired with a railroad named Conrail at the time as a locomotive engineer trainee. I went up through the ranks. I was a road foreman, a train master in the operating rules department, in the safety department. I went to Norfolk Southern in 1999. And um, I was a train master and road foreman, superintendent of terminals. I left, sorry, in 2017. And I went to Amtrak as the director of technical training. Um, I retired from Amtrak last summer, July of 2020. Um, at that time, I was responsible for all technical training of the operating crafts, both uh, all mechanical, engineering, and transportation types. Over the 40-year career, I was in numerous training positions. And even when I wasn't in a training position, I was involved in training, working with Hartwood, and, and Rob and I have worked uh, together in the past um, confidential close call reporting system. Uh, Amtrak was heavily involved and um, it's always good to, to be involved in that next generation of railroading. The virtual world has really uh, grown exponentially uh, and probably 
sooner than uh, than most people uh, realized or thought it would, uh, largely due to the pandemic, which uh, thankfully we're, uh, we're we're pretty much out of it, at least here here in this country. But in the midst of all this, everything that the railroad does, uh, everything that's uh, that's regulated, that's necessary, that's important regarding safety and training, uh, inspection, uh, all of that has to continue. That doesn't stop. Let's let's talk a bit about uh, about uh, simulation and training and how those two worlds have uh, have come together. You know, today what we're noticing is we're living in a digital and distributed. Uh, world and things are shifting right due to the pandemic uh, I think we've sped up maybe five years into the future even even sooner um, some could argue and what we're seeing is that we're going from workforce that was used to coming into a centralized location uh, to go through training and have access to that information just in that place to now they have a need for wanting to have that information, just not just in the classroom, but also out on the field or in between the field and their home. And, um, you know, it's going from a, an environment where you can always have an instructor in a classroom, but now you can also have that instructor right on the tip of your hands with, a, uh, with some kind of device, either a computer or an interactive app on, a, on an iPad. Uh, that app can live on the computer or on the iPad. And it gives employees the ability to, you know, learn anytime, anywhere, um, get feedback on how they're doing, uh, practice without penalty. They can refresh themselves on a specific procedure before they go out and do it on the field. So they're doing this in a much safer way, um, reducing errors and reducing damage to the equipment. And it's, you know, it's, it's refreshing to see um, all the railroads getting behind this stuff. Rob, from the FRA's uh, perspective, uh, uh, in, in, uh, from my, my observation is that uh, in recent years, the FRA has become much more uh, open to, to simu- simulation and modern technology, artificial intelligence, and uh, other platforms, as Neil just described. Uh, what's, what's your perspective uh, from your, your primary function, of course, is, is training? Right. So FRA has a history of supporting this type of technology going back to 1991 uh, with locomotive simulators. Uh, and so that type of technology has been around a long time and it's, and it's come a long way for sure. Uh, but it's important to note that the, uh, that the simulation technology as it stands today for at least for locomotive simulators, that's for recertification. The FRA does still expect a locomotive engineer to demonstrate proficiency, you know, in the cab of a locomotive operating over uh, his or her territory or territory that will be representative of the, of the uh, conditions that he or she may encounter. Uh, so there's still a requirement for, you know, a hands-on approach that, that involves tactile actual equipment. Uh, but yeah, and we certainly do. You know, I've been involved with these, uh, with these, this Hartwood, at least as it, as it applies to, you know, the, the application that's, that, uh, that I'm involved with has to do with power brakes. And I've been involved with it since, since day one. And I think it's got a, I think it has a place, you know, for, you know, in training at the refresher level, but, you know, I think there's still some things that need to be addressed. Um, but I, you know, overall, I think there's, there's a tremendous opportunity as, as this uh, technology continues to evolve. Brian, uh, you are the bridge really uh, here between uh, uh the Hartwood and the uh, uh, and the FR and the FRA, you know, as a uh, as as you, of course, you and Rob are both uh, longtime railroaders. Uh, so, give us your your perspective on uh, and on this. Bill, I I, uh, I look at it as an opportunity that that my operating time in the field we didn't have um, the availability of having this app and software. 24-7. Even though we say we're a 24-7 industry, many training groups um, operate daylight, operate Monday through Friday. This material is available around the clock, and it's accurate. And if I need a certain type of control valve, it can be replicated. If I need 
um, a certain type of brake system, it can be created in, in the app. Um, I don't always have that when I'm a field officer or even a training officer at a training center to demonstrate and, and show an individual that. I also haven't had the ability to consistently have every person work through a simulation so that it's measuring their skills and recording it into a company's uh, database, a learning management system. So those are major wins in my, my point of view that the application gives us that the simulation and the virtual interactive training give that we didn't get from going out on physical equipment. I, I still see the need for the physical equipment, of course, but there are many opportunities that a person gets to practice that same skill or the behaviors behind that skill through simulation. So, and it also, it's a risk-free, injury-free environment. I, I don't have somebody focused on walking along the track and inspecting a car at the same time. So their, their focus is about that inspection. Um, that's what I see as a, as a huge win in getting the, the two programs together. Um, as Rob said, having, having that need to go out on equipment, it, it's essential. But there are times that I can replicate or bring in equipment that I didn't have at that facility to refresh somebody or to give them initial training before they go out into the field. So what sort of um, interfaces are we talking about for the virtual training? Uh, we're all familiar with locomotive simulators where, uh, well, it's like any sort of training simulator, whether it's for uh, NASA or, or a railroad, you're, you're, you're in a, a, a duplication of a locomotive cab and you have all the controls uh, there, the, the brake and throttle and all the other, other controls. Um, uh, but for some of these other these other interfaces, some of this other training, wh what sorts of interfaces or physical interfaces are we talking about? These big box simulators that you described are very helpful. There's a place for them. Um, you know, the airline industry is a great example of a place where pilots are, need to be certified going through a physical simulator. What we're providing is, is something a little different. Um, it's a lightweight app that runs on a PC, a mobile device like an iPad um, or a web browser. And these are lightweight interactive apps where you can use your fingers to interact with the equipment or the procedure or your mouse to interact uh, depending on the device that you're on. And so imagine there's so much to do prior to getting out on the field. There's so much to learn before you get out on the field with an instructor or with a subject matter expert. And you can do that learning in this virtual interactive environment that's very similar to a simulator that we're used to in the industry, um, but with 3D graphics and video game technology, we're bringing you all a, a, um, this capability that didn't exist before, right? With the revolutionization of, of computers, we've been able to um, provide this to you in a full interactive experience that prior you needed really huge processing power. You needed quite a computer to run that kind of thing. And now you can run it on your average computer um, or mobile device with no problem. Like I think we all have seen that with our phones and, and what we can execute there. Being that you, uh, you can access the, the platform uh, on, on a mobile device or, or a phone, would you say that uh, <clears throat> if it's somebody wants to, uh, an operator or a brakeman or conductor or whomever wants, wants to give themselves a, uh, uh, a, just a quick, a, a quick want to review or something, uh, you know, when, when it's not required, but they, Hey, I want to bone up on something. I want to just, I want to sharpen my skills a little bit. I've been, I've been off duty for 12 hours. Well, longer, longer than 12 hours, whatever the, <laughs> whatever the current rule is, uh, uh, you know, a couple of days and I just want, I want to freshen, uh, I, I want to uh, refresh my skills. Is that, uh, is that one, one purpose uh, of this? Well, I'll, I'll take that. It's, it's an opportunity, Bill. The, um, I think a good example could be, uh, let's use conductors, a conductor that works road service for two or three months straight and 
all of the brake tests have been done for him by the mechanical department. Now, all of a sudden, he decides to switch his assignment to a yard assignment or a local assignment, and he gets into that situation where I personally haven't done a class one brake test in the last 90 days or whatever amount of time. That opportunity to refresh is something that hasn't existed before other than in, in conversation. Nothing to the point that it's been interactive. Nothing to the point that before he puts himself at risk walking along the track, he's reviewed what he needs to go out there and look at and get a feel for and what's a defect and what's not. So those are things that we haven't had in the past other than the printed document. Of course, the printed document doesn't go away here, but these interactive guides and the simulation allow that person to challenge themselves at their own speed, at their own pace, and at any time. Um, so that's one of the things I see. Rob? Yeah, I was going to say, Rob, your, your, uh, your perspective on, on this. Yeah, I, well, I would said. agree. I think that's what's really cool about the simulation is the detail associated with the, many of the components that you that you see in the in the display and the and the interaction that you can participate in. I think that uh, you know great pains have been have, have been made to try to to make this uh, simulation as realistic as possible, and and it, and it shows. And I think there's tremendous potential here, even for new learners or for people that have they're coming green off the street, brand new employees. You know, the idea to be able to to show on a screen nomenclature, you know, names of components and point them to areas that, uh, you know, in need of inspection, things that uh, that are not only required by FRA regulations, but required by, you know, the uh, internal uh, requirements for a railroad that are that are, you know, exist on every single railroad you go to. So it's I think it has a tremendous opportunity uh, for for both new learners and to refresh uh, skills. No question about it. One of the challenges that the industry uh, uh, has been facing for quite some time now is the generational change. Um, a lot of a lot of retirements. You have younger people coming into the industry. Uh, we want to attract them. We want we, we want to retain them. Um, younger people coming in are they think in terms of computers and touchscreens and and virtual interfaces. So. Would you say that something like this uh, goes goes a long way toward attracting young people to our to our industry? So Not I've been sure. I've been an, an observer in, in the rollout of, of this simulation again since day one, and I can speak to this for the older people such as myself. Even though, you know, I was a gamer as a kid. You know, with some of the, I'm gonna date myself Atari and and uh, some of those older games, Pac Man or Pac Man, all that stuff. <laughs> exactly, uh, you know, Space Invaders, but. That said, I've seen firsthand how the older generation struggles with just the interface at the, at the most basic level. So, and, and it's not a one-off. I've seen it repeatedly where uh, the end user was, was struggling just to understand how to move around in the environment and, and was completely lost on what, what they were supposed to get out of the, the, the simulation itself. On the other hand, where you see the younger folks, I mean, they take on, generally speaking, they take off to it straight away. And there's kind of, there's no hiccup whatsoever, whether they're taking the simulation uh, on an iPad or they're, you know, doing it on a, on a, on a PC where they're having to navigate with uh, keystrokes. Uh, they seem to get it quickly. So I think, yeah, I think, you know, the younger folks are going to be expected to, are, are going to expect, you know, more of this technology in their, uh, in their training that they may receive. Uh, but I, you know, there's still a lot of us older folks still around. Uh, so I'm not sure that one size fits all. And there needs to be, you know, accommodations made for some of those older learners that aren't going anywhere just yet. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, again, you know, there's, there's a, a hump that we need to get over, so to speak. And then it make it make this, you know, keep in mind that the, uh, that the simulation has to be as intuitive as possible to allow folks to assimilate easily to the environment. Rob, I see you uh, nodding your head there. Uh, you, you and uh, uh, you and Rob are uh, uh, 
veterans. <laughs> I, I, I won't, I'll try and I'll try to stay away from from the uh, railroad slang, old heads. <laughs> but uh, your uh, your your thoughts on what uh, what Rob was just saying? Yeah, I think I think Rob's right. Um, I think it depends on the person, though. I will say that, and in, in general terms, um, change is difficult for everyone, and this is a change. Um, you know, people are, when I, when I hired many years ago, uh, written operating rules tests were new. They were new. Nobody, nobody had taken written tests before. And, um, air brake training was biennial every, every other year. And a, if you were lucky at a terminal, an air brake car came around and that was your training and simulation. Um, and then you'd see them again, two years later. Uh, that's changed. This is this is an opportunity um, where people get to be part of it. I think as railroads and many are are moving to mobile documents and iPads um, with their their operating instructions in there, their operating manuals, their air brake instructions, their timetables. As they go to electronic documents like that, every one who's working, regardless of their generation, is getting more and more familiar with using uh, an iPhone or an iPad or an Android device. Um, so I think that's helping this process or will help this process in the near future. It's going to be a learning curve, but it's one that, that people are having to do because of other changes in the industry also. Hartwood is a, a partner of Apple's uh, we're an enterprise mobility partner of Apple's. And one of the advantages we've had in being a partner of theirs is we go through this design lab experience when we're designing our apps and our software. And, and that is a similar uh, process that has gone through to develop all the, all the apps on the app store and many apps that we use as consumers. And so uh, with what Rob said and Brian, you know, it's very true. There's, there's definitely no doubting that. Uh, we are attempting our best and trying to make these interactive applications as intuitive and simple and easy to use as the apps on their phones that they're using anyway. Um, and no matter what age you are today, everyone has a smartphone. And so if you're able to go through that, you're going to be able to go through this. And uh, we just came up with a version two, Rob, I'm excited for you to see it, where we uh, have addressed some of these issues that have come up earlier on. Uh, in terms of getting a little tutorial and understanding, okay, what are you supposed to accomplish here? How, how, how do you, what, what are all the interactive um, buttons? What do you do? How do you move around here? And um, that's been helpful. And we have a few, you know, old heads, if you will, Bill, uh, in our company. And we tested on them first just to make sure we're, you know, uh, not only are they old heads, they're also not railroaders. So it helps us though, because it's, it's, if they can figure it out, then we're like, okay, a railroader can figure this out. So um, time will only help this problem, but it's, it's definitely not, uh, you know, just easy, ready to go right now. Um, some, some generations are challenged by it. So Rob, being a, a veteran of um, simulation and, and that aspect of training, what was your initial reaction when you were approached uh, by, by Hartwood about, about this, this uh, technology, about their, their platform? So I had a, uh, I was basically on, on board already because I knew what, I had some similar experience uh, with a competitor, I would say, uh, with another with another class one. They got into the game back in 2012 uh, with another with another vendor. So I, I saw the huge potential and more importantly, the end user, you know, it was basically a, a, a win-win, you know, for everybody involved. It was, it was, Generally embraced by the target audience, um, and so when and when I got approached by, I guess it was one of the other class ones that was using Neil's product. You know, there's I think it sells itself to be honest with you, but by what you see and how how much clarity and how much detail, it the, there's no doubt there's some limitations. You know, with uh, with using the software, but everything there is with everything. So you know. It's only going to get better, as Neil alluded to earlier. As time goes on, there's going to be iterations that are made. You know, there's going to be suggestions that are offered up, and we get suggestions all the time 
uh, when I'm doing when I'm doing my observations, you know, I encourage the end user to provide suggestions uh, to me as the regulator that I can pass along not only to you know internally within the folks that make the decision about uh, allowing you know the industry to use this type of technology under waiver, uh, but uh, you know. We, we talk about it in a collaborative fashion. So I think it's, uh, you know, I'm excited about it. And there's, there's no doubt about it. I think it's, uh, it has huge, huge upside. You know, you can go through all the things that Brian had mentioned earlier, you know, less risk. You know, it, it can introduce you to new concepts. It can show you things that you might or not ordinarily see, equipment availability that you can't always stage. All those arguments, it just, it just makes for a, uh, it just makes for a nice little platform to, uh, to engage people and have them, you know, learn, learning transfer occurs even more rapidly. So, uh, Rob, you had just mentioned the term under waiver. Can you describe that a bit? Uh, what, what's involved here about obtaining? Because if I understand you correctly, you do need a, as a railroad, you do need a waiver to incorporate this technology into, into your training. Is that, Am I correct? Yeah. For this particular application, because it involves making, uh, it, it involves a regulation that requires hands-on application in addition to classroom training every three years. And so this regulation goes back to 2000, uh, year 2000, part 232. 232, okay. So this is part 232. And under that particular piece, it, as I mentioned, it does require a hands-on component. And so what the railroads did, they came in and said, hey, we got this, sim this software simulation that we would like to use in lieu of, or in addition to, the hands-on component. And so they approached, they approached FRA, actually they had approached me in a, uh, in a different type of venue. And so I said, well, let's, let's, let's get started. And so they, they just started uh, providing me with a, a demo of, of the simulation. Uh, counseled them to go to the safety board. The safety board is this body at FRA that makes these decisions under waiver. And so, yeah, what it requires because they are deviating from what the regulation requires as hands-on, they're doing a software simulation in lieu of that hands-on piece. Neil, I, uh, what, what comes to my mind is, you know, you, we had just talked about the interface and, you know, it's intuitive uh, and you work with companies like Apple to, to develop it, make it user-friendly. Um, what's the next step? Are we maybe something like a virtual reality uh, as a, have, you, have you looked at that? Yeah, you know, Bill, um, really the next step is what, we're, what we've been doing is we're expanding on our, on our suite of applications. So we're addressing issues not only within 243, but within other areas of the railroad um, where our customers are asking for support and so for some help. You know, the next phase of, of this stuff is that it's not taking the same thing and replicating that. Um, that's, that's good, but it's also doing things that you cannot do in real life. For example, you, you know, you, you don't want to, uh, like we talked about a little bit, Brian talked about earlier, you don't want to damage the equipment. You don't want to hurt yourself, but in this virtual environment, you can do those things. Um, and that's how you learn by making those mistakes. And so we're trying to develop applications and create features that enables the user to um, make those mistakes and, and miss those faults. Uh, and obviously all that information is being tracked so you can see where you failed and where you need to improve. The software will give you that, that feedback um, at the end of the application, you know, the, the simulation, you'll see, okay, this is you missed this fault. You can go back and, and have a look there um, and see what you missed visually, right? Just like you kind of would in real life, just like that. Um, so, and then when it comes to the VR headsets and all, like you were talking about the virtual reality, I think that that's, that's a capability that's here today, but um, the railroads, uh, you know, and, and our customer base isn't ready for that. They don't need that. I think this is a great next step, what we're on today, to take the devices that they have within their enterprise and use the software as it stands today on the devices that they have, rather than having to buy another set of, of hardware for this VR experience that's really just a single use device right now, right? The VR headset is a single use device and you, you can only do one thing with it. So that increases their costs and railroads are trying to decrease costs and, and decrease their operating ratios. And we're saying, okay, great. We'll use the software with the devices that you have today. Um, and, and as the, the VR technology matures, sure, we'll, we'll get there. 
Uh, but there's so much to, to do before that, Bill, if you will, you know? One step at a time. I mean, this is just game changer for them, right? This is a big step to go from where they were to, to doing this. So uh, we don't want to over, you know, overdo that process. And you talk about earlier, you asked about generational. Can you imagine, you know, so even if you ask me, uh, you know, I'm touching 40, tell me to put this headset on to learn something. I'm saying, no, no, no. <laughs> Give me a computer or an iPad or something. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to get in there just yet. You know. Right. So, Rob, the um, labor unions are, uh, are really important here. These are the folks that are out in the field and on the ground uh, running the trains. Uh, um, where do they come in here with this? How are they looking at it? Well, there are end users, Bill. So I think they, you know, they certainly have and should have a major say. I mean, the organizations on a national level are, are very uh, concerned about training and they should be, you know, we, uh, it's a dangerous industry, you know, people get injured and hurt, uh, not every day, but it's, it's happening more often than it should. And people should have the skill set to do their jobs correctly. Uh, so I think, uh, I think it's important to engage our, our uh, labor unions early and often, uh, particularly in this technology. If we're going to have uh, any success, I think, in, in trying to, to make some strides. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think this technology does have a place in training. I think they need to have a say, personally. This is, what, this is Rob saying this, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's important to include them into, into what's, uh, what's being planned, what's, you know, what ideas may be uh, you know, in the future. Uh, and have them, you know, safety culture is talked about a lot in the railroad industry and safety culture means a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, to have a say in, in your safety is, you know, to me, that's safety culture also and to be taken seriously. And, and so I think it's, uh, I think we would all be better if, if uh, the labor unions were involved, you know, in this type of uh, rollouts, you know, what's being planned, even as perhaps some subject matter experts and some design work all of that, you know, just uh, the, the whole, you know, all that to say engagement, engage our, in, engage our, our labor unions often, early and often. Ryan, your thoughts. Uh, I think Rob's, Rob's hit the mark there. Um, cooperation and participation in the training with, um, and again, the, the industry has, has more than just the class ones with labor organizations, but getting, getting the materials and the process to fit what people do, fit the right thing to do, fit the safety mindset, uh, regardless what size railroad you work on. So the only way that a company is going to achieve that is to request partnership with their employees, getting, getting conductors in this case, or engineers or uh, maintenance away foremen mechanical uh, car inspectors and repairmen, getting them involved in what the needs of their training are. Um, truly, they are the ones doing the work and it's, it's necessary to listen to them on how they need to be trained in, in cooperation. It's a partnership. It can't be done just by what, what one group wants or another group wants, but it definitely has to happen together. Mm-hmm. Now we had uh, we had drilled down a bit into into the regulations. We had talked specifically about CFR or, or 49 CFR Part 232, which is air brakes. But the overarching uh, training regulations come under 49 CFR Part 243, which is specifically about on-the-job training standards. So let's talk about a bit about that and how how the uh, virtual uh, virtual training comes into that. Yeah. So I guess, I guess that's to me, Bill. I'll, so part 243 came into existence in the 19, uh, 2008 Rail Safety Improvement Act, right? There was, a, I think, 53 separate mandates within that Rail Safety Improvement Act, one of which was uh, the development of training standards. I was part of that working group uh, that uh, worked on those regulations. It was a collaborative rulemaking. We had a we had uh, the associations there, railroad associations, and we had labor organizations there. Of course, FRA was there. And so it, uh, Part 243 isn't just OJT. It's, it, it involves other things. Uh, but I think the big takeaway, uh, and I'm responsible for that rule at FRA for not only the review and approval, but also at some point we're going to be doing some oversight or audits. 
the big takeaway from from part 243 in my view is is the requirement for OJT uh, on on certain neuromuscular tasks and other and other things that you know it, it's almost like you know it when you see it uh, like you don't you don't learn how to parallel park by watching a video right you have to do it a few times okay and so you're not going to necessarily learn how to make a brake test uh, or do a single car test by watching a video. You have to do it a few times. Same with the locomotives. Um, and different learners learn at different pace. And so what 243 does, you know, for the first time, it requires structured on-the-job training, uh, task and condition standards. And so essentially it requires the learner to demonstrate uh, to, to the satisfaction of a designated instructor that he or she can perform a series of tasks or, or the steps associated with the task uh, correctly. And to the degree by which proficiency is measured is up to the organization to set. Uh, the higher the risk, typically the higher uh, level of proficiency is required. We'll take, for example, blue signal protection. Uh, I don't know if I should go into the deep dive on this, but essentially blue signal protection is what protects uh, um, men and equipment, uh, men from when they're working or women uh, from when they're working on and between rolling equipment. And so you don't want a whole lot of errors associated with set, setting up blue signal protection. So when someone's learning how to do or apply blue signal protection in the, in the real world environment, you probably wanna have a pretty high standard of proficiency to make sure that nobody gets injured or, injured or, or worse killed. And so again, all that to say part 243 is again is, is about uh, structured OJT. Uh, again, there's other things in part 243, uh, but it's cons consider that as an overarching regulation regulation of all FRA regulations that uh, set about the minimum training standards for uh, railroad employees. And not just railroad employees, I, I, I should say safety related railroad employees because they can also be contractors, railroad contractors. It boils down to in-person, on-the-job training, and simulation technology augmenting that and making that training better, more efficient. Uh, you still need both. And uh, when somebody's going out to the field, for example, Rob talked about this blue signal protection. If they've been able to run through some sequences, run through some training in an interactive sim environment, prior to doing that on the field, their experience on the field is gonna be even better. And I think that's what the, um, the overall industry needs to keep an eye on and look at it from that perspective. This is not to replace uh, the need to do things that need that human touch, you know, that haptic type feel, uh, you know, that'd be a big mistake if that's what the message is. I think the message is from Hartwood is that let's make that time more efficient, uh, less errors, less damage to equipment and less safety risk. And those things could still happen, but as long as we're giving them the ability to interact and do it virtually before they do it in real life, I, we've seen the numbers and, and the data is there that uh, less errors are made. So those are my, my closing thoughts. Thank you, Bill. You're well, welcome. let me just add to that. I just sure. want to add to that because I think he makes a good point. Yeah, I think that's what's really cool about simulation is that, you know, blue signal protection is a task and there's many steps associated with completing that task. And that's where that simulation can really come in handy particularly for new learners, is that you can actually show those steps in simulation step-by-step step in graphical display, have it interactive with the learner. And it's, it's beautiful because you can actually do that without any risk to the employee or perhaps the, uh, the person that's conducting the training. You do that in a secure, safe environment. And then perhaps later on, you go out there and do it in the real world, but you can expose that individual, that new learner, to what those steps are associated with that task that uh, and they could get it right the first time or the second time without fear of uh, of getting injured or, or or worse right and rob just to you know respond to that also is that as railroaders sometimes they've been there for 20 years but they're they're doing a task and now they're moved into another role and so when they go to this other role you know people almost think oh you're 20 years on the railroad you'll you'll be good but actually we, we want our customers and the industry has told us, they said, no, no, we need them to go through SIMS and get that OJT even, you know, that's where actually, if you look at some of the fatalities and some of the errors and penalties that have happened, it's people that are quote unquote veterans who've been there for a while, but, you know, they maybe took on a new job title, a new, new um, 
maybe moved from the transportation department to the mechanical department or, or vice versa, or they just haven't done something for a long time. And, and I think we've all experienced that. You know, we even driving sometimes, we take it for granted. You know, I've taken this left turn, you know, a thousand times. I've lived in this neighborhood for 20 years. And, and sometimes you need that refresher before doing that. It's also great for refreshing skills that may have eroded over time, because I have seen that too. So no question about it. Well, even right. professional football players need a coach, right? Yeah, that's right, Bill. <laughs> right? I, I see this as, as something that I didn't have in my career. And I think that's tremendous that we're moving to a point where we won't be waiting on a piece of equipment to train on it. Um, anything new can be trained before it ever shows up. Anything that is, that is rare can be trained based on the day it's in front of you. These are things we've never had the opportunity to do before. You know, there, there are many different um, ways to look at it. I, I like that, but I'm also a huge fan of it evaluates the person and gives them immediate feedback. And it gives them consistent feedback. The feedback I get is, is the same feedback that Rob gets because the app is looking at what we did, not what the instructor observing us thought we did or felt we did. Um, so there, there's a, a lot of benefit to that consistency. And it also gathers data so that um, in, in a world where we keep trying to make things better and improve, all that data lands into that railroad's learning management system and allows them to evaluate the material and keep the process going for continuous quality improvement there. Thanks very much. Uh, I have one final question and that's for Neil. Tell us about the name of the company, Heartwood. Where does that come from? Yeah, thank you, Bill, for, for asking that. We appreciate it. Um, Heartwood was founded in my father's construction company. He had a, a green Toyota pickup truck when I came back from college. And I founded this company with my co-founder, Raj, and we uh, embarked on, on the business and we used my father's construction company name, Hartwood. And uh, that's how the name came about. And it's the, the name of the center of a piece of wood where the heart of the wood is. And uh, we consider ourselves lucky to have gotten this far. I think we've surprised my dad uh, quite a bit now <laughs> with what we've accomplished. And uh, we're excited about what we're doing in the industry here. And it's just one of many conversations we, we plan to have with, with everybody. Well, Neil, I'd like to thank you for joining us and uh, uh, Brian Keller. And I'll, I'll use that Italian pronunciation again, Rob Castiglione. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us and have a safe day. <laughs>